A block past all flesh, Avglen pauses, as if hesitant about which way to go. We have a choice. We could go straight back, or we could walk the long way around. Hello and welcome to the Ovcast, a Handmaid's Tale reader. I'm your host, Max Mariner. And I'm your host, Elsie Igerman. And today we're talking about Chapter 6. So, this super positive, upbeat, uplifting chapter. Yeah, very, chapter. very up- uplifting chapter. In just four pages, you too can experience the kind of joy that comes out of the Republic of Gilead. Yep. Yeah, so uh, Elsie, you want to describe what happens in the chapter for us? All right, so they're walking back from the market, and they decide to take the long way back, which means they're going to walk by the river, and they're going to see the the men who've been recently salvaged, Mm -hmm. which is to say executed, um, whose corpses will be hanging on the wall. Um, And there's the implication that both of them are trying to see if it's someone that they know. This chapter creeped me out, especially, can I be real? As soon as they said, what is it? I'd like to pass by the church. I was me like, ooh, uh-oh, <laughs> right? Because like, yeah, it just I, I just got a bad feeling. Because I mean, what are the implications of having a church at all in this republic, right? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Also, the fact that like they left the the graveyards and the like old Puritan museums intact, mm-hmm. um, and that we get like this description that like, yeah, you could go in, but they're like. It's kind of lame, and we don't really want to. Yeah, I like how they mention admission is free. Yeah, they just like they just put that in there. Like, I mean, again, every word, the like, ever like, I know we don't, you know, we probably shouldn't talk about authorial intent that much, but I always read a book knowing that if the author put in every single word, like that sentence is there, she put that in consciously. Oh yeah. Unless you're like an author who writes while drunk, which I guess is a thing. <laughs> Um, well, once I don't believe you could write editing. a chapter like this drunk. I don't yeah, think you do. once you're hoping that you're not editing while drunk. Oh, okay, yeah, that's true, yeah. But yeah, just yeah. pointing out, like, yeah, admission is free. Like, it's really not a thing. Like, it's whatever, right? Um, I think I think this this is the chapter where where Atwood is like this is this is set in Cambridge. Well, what makes you uh, what makes you say that? I did okay, not pick so up on the, that. So the the description of the Puritans. Um, because you have the, the, the church is a small one, first erected here hundreds of years ago. It isn't used anymore except as a museum. And inside it, you can see paintings of women in long, somber dresses, their hair, hair, their hair covered by white caps, and uptight men darkly clothed and unsmiling. That is totally Massachusetts Puritans. Oh, I see. Because when I saw caps, I was like, what, like baseball caps? No, like, like the white bonnets. Okay, but not the same bonnets that they're that they're wearing in like the imagery of the book of, of, of the Hammond's Tale, right? Don't think so. I mean, I think it's definitely um, Anne Crabtree, Anna Crabtree, who did the um, the costuming for the show. I think definitely pulled. Uh, that kind of imagery for the handmade costumes. But what we get as far as descriptions of what they, they wear in the book, um, it's more on par with uh, nuns' wings. Um, uh, I'm forgetting what it's called, um, but there's a, a particular kind of nuns', nuns habit which meets the description. Mm, nuns' wings. My favorite airline, personally. <laughs> um, I guess what, what really stuck out to me in this chapter, un- like, undeniably, mm-hmm. was Offred just having a time dragging Ofglen all around the park. Like, it's ridiculous. Well, Ofglen also wants to, 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 to go down by the river. As in, like, not, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, like, dragging her metaphorically. 
Like, look at this fake-ass woman who doesn't actually feel anything uh, she's oh, actually oh, feeling. Oh, you meant drag in the slang way. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yes. Like, yes, mm-hmm. no, she she clearly resents Avglin a great deal. And it's um, like, girl, come on. Like, you really? Like, it's just, it's just a hunch. Oh, she just does this to, like, for a theatrics. Like, she's doing it for attention. And it's yeah, like, no, I ugh. think... Offrin certainly hates a lot of other women because we see a similar thing with the way she talks about Janine, where she's like, ugh, Janine's only out for attention, which might be a lot more accurate than Avglan, mm-hmm. um, especially given the fact that, like, if you're heavily pregnant the way Janine is, you don't have to go out. Yeah. Um, now, is that an example? That, now, I ask this genuinely. Mm-hmm. Is that an example of internalized misogyny? I guess. I don't know. I mm. hate. I hate sort of this like idea of like internalized misogyny and stuff because like I feel like it starts becoming false consciousness e pretty quickly where we're saying that like oh well you can't believe things it's just like the systemic systems enforcing it on you you don't actually believe that and I'm like oh yeah mm-hmm. it takes away autonomy and agency yeah I see um I but I I have to say I also really like the 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 flashbacks we get about the the river and this is another point of evidence that this is definitely cambridge mm-hmm. is that you have the um you can you can sit and watch the water the young men with their naked arms oars lifting into the sunlight as they played at winning um uh, rowing crew is like very common on the charles river which runs in between boston and cambridge and there's a description Wait. of the, the boathouse where they keep skulls, which is a particular type of boat for, for rowing crew. Um, and in fact, when I read this book in freshman year of high school, I was rowing crew. And I was like, ha this is just like The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> oh, my God. That is your phrase. That is your it signature really is. phrase. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I think I'm actually... Oh man, this is gonna sound so bad when I say that. I think I've actually seen a movie with the with like those row, <laughs> rowing the boat and all that stuff, like yeah. down that river. Well, the it, Social it, Network it, featured it. I think. Yeah, it pops up in the Social Network because the the what's it called Winklevoss. The Winklevoss twins the, are doing it too uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King. Yeah, yeah, they they yeah. they were rowing crew. You said that's the official term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Social uh, Network is also just like The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also, like, the football stadium is probably Harvard Stadium. Yeah. Oh, um, that, must also, be, I, that must be weird. It's, if it's, it's yeah, like Harvard no, is, like... Harvard Stadium is, like, perfect, though, because Harvard Stadium looks like the Coliseum. Like, it is kind of fashy-looking. So it is, like, the ideal place to hold the men salvaging. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. Just, and if I, I may I, jump... Yeah, good. Uh, if I may just jump back to, um... The whole Avglen thing, just real quick, it actually leads to like I think my favorite line in the chapter, which is, um, let's see, uh, it's like after she just like keeps talking all that smack, like she's fake, she's actually believing these things. She goes, but, but that is what I must look like to her as well. How could yeah. it be otherwise? Which I do appreciate that sense of self awareness of like, I mean, then again, this is what I look like to everybody. We just all look like just fake attention seeking. Like, we don't even actually believe any of the things we believe. That must just be what we look like to everybody else. Yeah, I, I think this sort of gets back to what we were discussing um, before about unreliable narrators. It's yeah. really not that Offred is an unreliable narrator, narrator so much as she's seeing things through her biased lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
at least she's sort of capable of realizing that Avglan probably sees her the same way. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But yeah, back to the football stadium. We can talk about what I want to talk about. Yes, please, um, please. <laughs> I think like the best line in the chapter. It's not not it's not my favorite line, but it's like up there, like top five for chapter six. Um, is the bit where I the football stadium is that way too, where they hold men salvaging as well as football games. They still have those. Mm-hmm. It's just I line's hilarious. Yeah. They still, you know, like this whole country has absolutely gone, uh, gone to hell and back. But you know what? At least they still have football. Yes, you, yeah. you know, you cannot have America without football. It can no longer be called America, but it still has football. Yeah. Um, it actually reminds me, and uh, please stop me if you've heard this one before, of this multimedia piece on the internet uh, called Seventeen Thousand Seven Hundred Seventy Six. What, what football is will look that? like in the future? Okay, so. I don't even want to tell it that much because it is such an amazing thing. Uh, it is a a written multimedia piece from this guy that describes what football would look like in the future, and it basically surmises to when everything else is gone, football shall remain. Like that's basically the the long and short of the idea. I highly recommend to anybody out there one seven 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 six. It's like seventeen seventy six with an extra seven in the middle. Go out just. Have a great evening. I think I was I, I was reading it on uh, on the night of the the Super Bowl, and I was just completely enthralled. I'm not somebody who really cares for football, but like it's this, it's the idea that this game football somehow has this weird sense of immortality to it. Yeah. It just doesn't like it doesn't go away, which is really interesting. It, it kind of speaks to us as as how we develop and change and grow as a people. That one of our constants is this one specific game that's kind of not exclusive to our country, but kind of created in ours i mean it's football but it's not the football that most of the world knows yeah that makes sense unless upright is being super progressive and super uh <laughs> globalized and she's actually just very, talking about very european yeah she's yeah. talking about football yeah that whole thing well but you wouldn't call harvard stadium like a soccer stadium I mean, yeah, i'm sure they have soccer games in there but mm-hmm. um yeah, and also we get mentions of the the old dormitories, so it has to be university campus. Yeah, you have a very you have a very specific fascination with the Handmaid's Tale correlating with uh, Cambridge in that location. Well, because like I I can picture it in my mind. These are the, I I have spent time on the, the the green banks of the Charles River. So, you, huh. so have you walk have you walked by this specific church? You think? Probably. Yeah. I'm not sure which specific church it is. Um, partly because I, I spend lo- most of my time on the, the Boston side of the river, but... Yeah. As an as a recent Angelino transplant or whatever, like, it is fun to go back and watch media that's, like... It's very much takes place in L.A., and you can start to, like, yeah. recognize all the different locations, even if it's not altogether shot in L.A. usually. But in well, case of a it- book... Sorry, you good. If it's if, but if it's in a book, it's like you have to like sort of imagine it from there. It's not something that you can just like see a picture of in front of you. Like I think I have a pretty good idea of what the Handmaid's Tale looks like, with with one exception I can get to in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have this very specific set of like geography and architecture that just fits with the actual place it was on which it was based. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's one of the things that annoys me about the television program. Um, they they filmed it in, I think, Vancouver. Um, Bestie. That's where you film things. Yeah. Um, except, like, in the upcoming season, they shot on location um, on the... The big the, the the National Mall. Sorry, mm-hmm. couldn't remember what it was called. I uh, they filmed on location in the National Mall, and I'm like, why couldn't you film on location anywhere in Boston or Cambridge, please? Yeah. Um. If and speaking of locations and stuff, there there is one part of the uh, Handmaid's Tale aesthetic that I was mm-hmm. not expecting. That I don't really expect from novels and just media about like dystopias as we've continued to return back to every once in a while on this podcast when they're talking about the blue skies and the clouds oh with, yeah with that, ha- that look like sheep with decapitated heads that's one way to phrase it i guess yeah and the fact that alfred Uf- cannot really see it that often because of the thing that she's wearing which represents the you know her position it's like she can't look up at the wide sky because of the thing that literally symbolizes her placement in this new in this recent-ish society yeah, but at the same time, it's like the sun is shining. Yeah. Um, and this is something we, we've seen earlier because she, she holds her hand out into the light. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, earlier when we saw her in her room. Um, and I, I think that's sort of the, the beauty of The Handmaid's Tale. It's, it's not like... It's not like the seventh Harry Potter movie where everything is gray constantly. Yeah. Is, it like, is the show like this as well? No, the show is very gray. The lighting in season two is like almost like illegible. <laughs> wow, jeez. I it, wonder well, why that like, is. Like, it's the new things like have dark color schemes for everything, and it's terrible. Um, I have to wonder if it's also because communicating dystopia, which we uh, like, which we kind of associate with bad, with like, oh, the end of society. Yeah. I mean, I guess you wouldn't want to put a blue, uh, blue, uh, blue sky in there because that represents peace and heart but, and, qu- and like what pisses me off about it is that like the whole point of the book is that it could happen here. This is about like the sort of legitimate horror of this just this very very possible dystopia. Um, you can't make it be this elseworld thing where the sun doesn't shine like the sun shines in Saudi Arabia. Mm. Wow, that's, that's that's a good good quote. <laughs> just like it's it's true. Yeah. Um, I mean... This and I feel like other authors do intend to like communicate like to put forth that same message of this can happen anywhere. This can happen to us. I mean, at the very end of the chapter, what is uh... Oh man, that's that that is my favorite line. Oh, okay. Should we address it now or should we get to the uh other fun stuff first oh, well, let's address this line because it, it came up yeah um yeah no my favorite line in, in this chapter uh is ordinary said aunt lydia is what you're used to ah so good mm-hmm. um oh not the next one this may not seem ordinary to you now but after a time it will it, it, will, it become will become ordinary. ordinary yeah well i mean that's just sort of adding on to the original line but just Ordinary is what you're used to. I just, I mm-hmm. love it so much. And I think it's just so accurate. Yeah, 100%. Um, um, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I've been thinking about um, active shooter drills and how 
that wasn't normal at one point, and now we've all accepted that as normal. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're escalating. Yeah, that's uh, we've both seen eighth grade, yes. the movie, and, and the, well, but I think one of the interesting things um, is that. The two of us were talking about eighth grade, and you asked me, and listeners, I'm four years younger than him. This is not a significant age gap. Um, And you you asked me if I'd been through a a school shooter drill, and I was like, yeah, of course I have. What do you mean you haven't? I have never been in one of those. I never even thought about one of those. I really didn't think. It must have started as soon as I left high school in 2012, because honestly, I've never even heard of that before. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, also, it might be also regionalized and, and, and whatnot. Um, but the thing is, like, when I was in high school, it was already starting to escalate from it's a lockdown, lock the doors, pull the, the, the turn off the lights, pull the, the blinds down to it's a lockdown, take all the tables and barricade the door. Oh, my God. And now we're seeing these accounts of, like, they, like, fake shoot teachers. Oh, that is traumatizing. Yeah. That is nothing short of traumatizing. And we've all just decided that, like, oh, of course you have to have school shooter drills. Yeah. Despite the fact that, like, 10 years ago we weren't doing this. No. I mean, let me think how long it's been. Seven years ago. I, I get. I mean, not in California, at least. I feel like I would have heard about well, it. If... We we had lockdown drills when I was in middle school, which would have been when you were in high school. Mm, okay, yeah. So, so it, it, it must also, also be regionalized. Be regionalized as well. Yeah, I don't know if um, we've mentioned this either, but we are on opposite sides of the country. So yeah. Well, we have mentioned it by proxy because I'm just like constantly like, I grew up near Cambridge. Have I mentioned that I grew up near the location of The Handmaid's Tale? I just want to point out that this reminds me of a childhood memory of mine. You just, like, go outside and, and, like, point to a tree. That's exactly like in The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. So it's interesting that, like, you know, we it's the classic phrase, this is not normal. This is yeah, not normal. But exactly. eventually, as I've Ordinary started to realize... Ordinary you're used to. Yeah. As I've realized over the last few months, people will accept anything as normalcy. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, all it requires is time. All it needs is time. And it just kind of sets in. It's It's not fun. It's not good. <laughs> It's actually kind of lazy of all of, of us to do that, but this is the world that we live in. It's the world we live in. Things just shift. And speaking of which, yes. Elsie, I think it's time. I, I think it's time that we address the uh, the elephants in the room. The six elephants in the room. Six, I believe there were, right? Six? Huh? What are the six elephants? The men. The bodies. There are six of them. I think there's only two. What? I thought there were only like there were like a whole lineup of them, and one of them had like the um, a smile on. or something on we them. Can... Yeah, I remember the smiles. Um... Is it time for another installment of Max has only read this book once? <laughs> yeah, six more bodies hanging by the tracks, their hands tied in front of them, their he- their heads in white bags, up sideways onto their shoulders. Oh yeah, six more bodies are hanging. Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. Oh my god, I was right. <laughs> No! I'm melting! <laughs> this is like the one time it has happened and the one time it will ever happen. Truly. It's false. I'll, I'll mess up again. Uh, it. I think it's just because this... I don't want to say it took like a turn because this is not a very happy book, but I was not ready for chapter six. Look oh, at all these was, dead bodies. I was, yeah, I was expecting it. I was like, oh yeah. This is when this I mean, happens. Like, yeah, and 
are they all, um, you want to say abortion doctors? Yes. All of them. Well, I, well that's, that's, that's what it says. I, I got it wrong a second ago, so, like... You know, I, I like, I know that uh, some of them were. I wasn't sure if they, they all were, but I guess all of them. Yeah, well, because is... they're, they're all wearing white coats. Yeah, that's right. Um, and she and she says, like, what I feel partly is relief because none of them is Luke. Luke wasn't a doctor, isn't? Ugh, she's so hung up about Luke, whoever he is. He's kind of important. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> I don't want to yeah, spoil he... anything, but he's kind of important. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there, there is an idea as we've talked about before with like. You know, making sure that yours is not among the names. This is a prop. This is a part yeah. of like all wartime of all, um, of all sort of not like, yeah. Wartime is probably the best example of like hoping that the soldier that you know that when your when your brother goes out to war and they they post back. post the lists of the dead that your brother's name isn't there and you're relieved yeah. even though you just read through lists of like hundreds of dead people's names. Yeah. Truthfully, Elsie, I hope neither of us ever have to experience that because that seems like one of the scariest things. I Truly, mean, one of the most statistically speaking, somewhat un- unlikely. I mean, we're we're unlikely to have a war where we're going to get drafted. Yeah, but not even that. I mean, like just knowing somebody who goes out to serve and then like you know, yeah. hearing that near their station they were like there was a huge attack and not knowing if they actually survived and desperately I mean, looking for a list. Probably more likely that like one of us or someone that we know will be in a natural disaster Will that where that will happen? Yeah, you know, that actually... That actually did happen to me once. Um, mm-hmm. I had a good friend of mine in elementary school. Uh, he was from Indonesia. Then he went back to Indonesia, and the giant tsunami happened, yeah. and we didn't hear from him for, like, a few... For, like, a year or something. And we were all like, what happened to Eric? And, uh, yeah, he's, he's alive and well. He's okay. alive and well. But, like, it, there was a genuine question of, like, where was he? And my entire classroom was like, what? Like, where is he? Because we didn't, you know. Yeah. 2004, internet not internet was there, but it wasn't, like, yeah. a bunch of nine-year-olds weren't going to figure that out, like, how to, like, make sense of contacting somebody in Indonesia. But, no, thankfully he is fine. But, yeah, I guess I have been through the whole natural disaster thing where it's, like, you don't know if somebody's actually made it. Yeah. So uh, I can confirm, uh, not fun. Not fun um, time, not at all. Not no. fun for ten-year-old Max Mayer. Not fun for twenty-four-year-old Max Mayer either. I would definitely guarantee that. Not not fun for forty-four-year-old Max Mayer. While we're on the topic, just not fun. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so these hung uh, doctors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back to the the good stuff. Uh, so I want to know, Elsie. Yes. As as a young woman who cares deeply about reproductive rights, what does this kind of imagery say, like, to you? Like, what? like it speaks in very high volumes, but what does it say to you specifically? I don't know. I'm just so numb to things by now. Um, I answer Is that, that something to be worried about? <laughs> <laughs> Normal is just what you're used to. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, okay, to be fair, things are much better now than they were in the 80s when, like... There was a, a, a pretty big problem with um, uh, abortion doctors getting killed. Mm. Um, the, the pro-life movement has gotten significantly less violent in recent decades, by which I mean the past 20 years. Um, I, and so in like the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of like, oh, if you work at Planned Parenthood, you should check underneath your car to make sure that 
there isn't anything oh my that's god i mean we've had and i mean we have had instances at least one instance of a guy just going in with arm yeah. to a planned parenthood killing people like honestly it's like i'm not saying things are no better now than they were in the 80s but it, the the were like people people who work at planned parenthood are heroes like i'm sorry they just they are like and they are very brave for even doing that because oh my god yeah yeah like, I mean, it's sort of, they make obvious first targets for, for Gilead. Um, and you can sort of see them as antagonists of the right right now. Like, they, the right won't refer to abortion doctors as doctors. They call them abortionists. Um, abortionists. Yes. And you'll hear stories about, like, ex-medical school is starting a program to train abortionists. What an interesting term. Like, yeah. I'm trying to think of any, like, equivalent to that, and I can't think of anything, like... I mean, it's all politics is word games. Oh, um, yeah. Definitely. I, yeah, and I, I was watching this horrible YouTube video, which I was so excited about, that was like, ways in which The Handmaid's Tale um, has real-life equivalences. I'm like, oh, man, this is my shit. This is my favorite thing. Um, and someone compared the the opening scene of season two to the Kevin Williamson incident. And I'm oh. like, no, this is not comparable. Um, so last year, The Atlantic hired this guy, Kevin Williamson, who's a, a major writer for National Review. Um, and as such, Kevin Williamson is, is quite pro-life. Um, not saying that everyone who works at National Review is pro-life, but like uh, disproportionately. Um, and some people twisted some things that Williamson had said and was like, oh, Williamson believes that women who've had abortions should be put to death. Mm. Not what he believes. Um, mm. And I think this is another important thing to, to point out is people will make this comparison that, that calling for the death penalty for women who, who've had a, a abortions is um, sort of Gileadian. It's, it's, it's like the handmaid's tale. Um, but what we see here is that really it's, it's the, the doctors who perform it who get killed um, and one would assume that women who have had um, abortions become enslaved as handmaids. Um, and you see this sort of here where it's like, no, no woman in her right mind these days would seek to prevent a birth. She should be so lucky as to conceive. Huh, yeah. Um, and also, I think this is a great example of how this book is not really about abortion. Um, because to the best of my memory, this is this is one of the only mentions of abortion in, in the entire book. Um, mm. That this this book is really about reproductive rights on a, a much greater scale. Unfortunately, like even though like the hung, me- oh, no, wait, no, let me see, is it hanged? I feel like there's a. I think a they're they're hanged. Yes. Hanged. I feel like the other word is a much much different context. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the hanged men. It. It shocked me, and then when I heard it, it was like they were all like these, you know. What what are the correct term? What's the correct term for a doctor who performs? You just say abortion doctor. That's what I abortion heard. doctor. I, yeah, there might be a more technical term. I'm honestly I'm like just reproductive not familiar. Doctor or something like that? I'm not. I'm not in, in in the medical field. Yeah, like I. And then when I heard it, I'm like, oh boy, this is yeah. This does this. That was not the surprising part, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. I hate to, I hate to ask this question. Mm-hmm. Because I know it's not good to ask this question, but what do you think she was trying to say with this scene? You know, like what? <laughs> I'm gonna go on a limb here and say that Margaret Atwood is probably pro-choice, pro- probably. Probably. 
So, um, like, in this scene, is it just, like... I she's... Is she I, I, putting texture to, the, like, the whole dystopia? Like, what what do you think she's trying to do here? I saw this really... And this is somewhat unrelated to what you've just asked me, but um, back to the point of, of her being pro-choice, I saw this really great interview with her where she was um, saying that the pro-life crowd is really for forced childbirth, and I just really love that term. Um, but anyways, uh, yes, back to the, the what she's trying to say with this. Well, I mean, I think the, it sort of gets back to what I was saying earlier about how this is the obvious first targets of Gilead. This is this is something that I mean, I think some right wingers today could get behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this, this is sort of a, a disc- discursive problem where people on the, the left seem to think that people on the right hate women who've gotten abortions. But there are actually a fair number of anti-abortion activists who've had an abortion. Um, and so there is this kind of believing in restorative justice for women who've had abortions. Um, but abortion doctors are, are considered quite evil. Um, and it's understandable. I mean, if you if you legitimately believe it to be murder, um, then these are people who are taking lives every day. Hmm. I just think about that Zootopia comic. Oh God. Yeah. That 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 is the that is the close like. Unfortunately, when I showed it to my friends, like we all had it on like a big screen, it was just like, <laughs> is this really what commentary on 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 reproductive rights has become on the internet? Like, it's just like. Yeah, no, this is just like The Handmaid's Tale. It's just a lot worse. Um, yeah, and I've been watching this show, Veep. Um, and oh yeah, Veep. Oh, do you watch Veep? Uh, my parents watch Veep. Of course, your parents watch Veep. It's such a like. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, a political person, so I, like everyone keeps watch referencing Veep. So I'm like, I got it. I got to watch it. Um, and there's this character, Dan Egan, um, and he gets this woman pregnant. Uh, and there's a bit where he's like, "I'll go Dutch uh, with you. I'll go Dutch with you on the abortion. Just you know, hit me up on Venmo." And he's like, "You want know make it public so that people will know that I'm a gentleman." And I'm like, "This is what oh my god. Think pro-choice men are like." Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! That's the, I, I think... the show. All the characters are sociopaths, basically. Dan okay. Egan, like especially. Um... Well, I mean, it's Julie Louis Dreyfus in charge. Like that. Julie, wait, Julia Louis Dreyfus, right? Yes. I mean, she's the star, right? I mean, the, yeah. the, the spirit of Seinfeld lives on, where all the cast members are just complete sociopaths. Yeah, yeah. no, it's like all the characters are horrible people. Because, uh. like, that sounds like something that a, a, Channer, would, a, a Channer would write, honestly. Yes. Like, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the writers don't actually believe that, but it is a great way to, to show where we're at. Like, well, with... it's supposed to be a sort of outlandish statement. Um... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, God, affording somebody's... Abortion through Venmo is just yes. Such... It's just oh god. Oh my god, that's just uh, <laughs> I can't even like. Wow, I need to check that show out. It's it's, it's ending soon, right? Uh, yeah, it's in its final season. Yeah, so I guess like the conversation about how to approach like abortion doctors and reproductive rights in the me- in media, not the media, just mm-hmm. in media, it seems to t- have taken on quite a different uh, array of forms, including this one. And to have it such like a, like, of all the things that we've seen so far, this is probably the clearest image I have in my head. Like, honestly, like this. Yeah. It's like, yeah, all these men in white bags. Ho- I, um, I think we get hang- like an entire page just dedicated to what the bodies look like hanging on the wall. Yeah. And like how it just freaks her out. Like, yeah. And I, I it's like one of the most human moments we've seen from Alfred so far. Like, yeah, this is all horrible. And like, yeah, yes. and the description of the blood in the, on the on the bags. 
Yeah, which is... Wait. That's interesting. Wait. I didn't think about... I mean, I read that, but I didn't yeah. even, like, really register. I it's, thought when it's you... It's like a smile. Yeah. That's um, right. Like a, but like on a snowman without, without there's a... There's blood, carrot. which has seeped through the white cloth where the mouth must have been. It makes another mouth, a small red one, like the mouths painted with thick brushes by kindergarten children, a child's idea of a smile. This smile of blood is what fixes the attention finally. These are not snowmen after all. Yeah, I didn't even think about the whole blood thing because when I think of the act of hanging somebody, I don't think of blood. I think it's uh, I usually just not as in like I think about it well, in great detail. He spit up blood. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I understand it. Yeah, it's I just oh my god. My, yeah, no, it's <laughs> my fingers are just a lot more tingly right now. Just yeah. just hearing that description. Yikes. I I, I think that's sort of the 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 beauty of it is that like this is gory yes but it's not needlessly so like it's very realistically gory yeah um and and we're just seeing the violence in that way i think is really masterfully done yeah it's uh is is morbid but it is not like it's not unreasonable yeah it's it's just very frank like this is what they look like and it's okay to be freaked out because, hey, I'm the main character and I am freaked out. Yeah, and but there's also sort of this, like, weird childless, childish element to it. Like, the fact that their their heads are described like the heads of snowmen. And that the even the, the one where there's blood, it's described like a child has drawn the blood on it. You know, what's weird is that I think that's what makes it so easy for me to envision, those descriptions. Like, Yeah, well, it's, because... it's so simple looking. Maybe that was the idea is that, like, by using this childlike symbolism that we're all very familiar with, it is much easier to make a very vivid, very clear picture of what she's looking at, which makes it all the more, like, like jarring and shocking and horrifying. Yeah. Writing is hard. Yeah. <laughs> this is the long and short of it. Is there anything else that you wanted to go over there? Well, I think that there's something really interesting to the the way in which their mobility is limited here. Like, we get this uh, short line that's like, I don't go over the river anymore or over the bridges or on the subway, although there's a station right there. Yeah, it's not that... No, wait, no, they are prevented, right? Yeah, they're yeah. prevented. And it's sort of like Cambridge is an island. Hmm. Um, that they're just sort of stuck in this this sort of smaller compound. Yeah, this, like, island, it's, I wouldn't say it's a prison, but it certainly is something of, like, a a very, like, locked-up place. Just yeah. symbolically. Like, you can't get on this or that or the other thing. But, like, though you they can, can see maneuver. the way off, and it used to be that you were able to go that way. Yeah. Oh, it's like... They're, you know, again, the, so the illusion of freedom. Yeah, they're so confined, yet next to this, like, river, it's just... Ugh. And we are. And this is just chapter six, folks. Like, <laughs> it seems man. like she's still set, setting the stage. Yeah. No. The, I mean, the, well, this. So this is the end of, of uh, part two. I mean, part one is just the 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 opening chapter where we see the gymnasium. Um, but this, this is the end of part one, which is just Alfred leaving the house and going for the walk to the market with Olive Glenn, and then walking back. Oh my God! Yeah. So much, so much to take in, so much to drink in with this, uh, with what we've seen so far yeah. in regards to, like, this kind of environment that we're in. I mean, I, the weird thing is, 
it is very hard for me to imagine all these different images coming together. Like the idea of like I can imagine the blue sky with the with the clouds that with a, <laughs> that look like decapitated sheeps or something like that. Like that kind of yeah yeah she, yeah. Um, but, and but yeah, I can't imagine that against like as the backdrop to six men in white coats being hung with like sm- with like smile looking blood splatter. Like that, those two images are just not registered in my mind. They're they're on such different opposite viewpoints, which I think is probably the point. I I just I just love the idea of like it's a beautiful day out, and then there are six corpses. Yeah. But then again, I guess for Offred, it's just pretty normal. Yeah. Just yep. Because normal. Do you believe what what they? Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Do you believe um? What Offred's claims about how the wall is, might be up for a hundred years, or you know, at least one hundred or hundreds of years, like. Um. Yeah. I mean, Cambridge kind of looks like that. Hmm. I, I mean, I guess like the wall seems to be something that was built, like in the uh, in the like in Gilead. Not it did not exist before. No. Well, she, she specifically describes that um, it once uh, have been plain but handsome. Now the gates have sentries, and there's these ugly new floodlights mounted on metal posts above it, barbed wire along the bottom, and broken uh, glass set in concrete along the top. So it's clear that they've modified this wall. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and Cambridge feels like it's it's a European city. Like it, the there's all these tiny little one way streets. Um, and the architecture is really old, and it it, it, it it's sort of a, a weird little city. Um, but yeah, I can believe that the wall is an actual hundred mm-hmm. hundreds of year old wall. Um, yeah, I guess the reason I bring it up, uh, and this is just coming from you know using my perspective as a novice as a newcomer. <laughs> so far, I've never gotten the sense that Gilead is very old. If does not because none of it is very described as very lived in. Yeah, like but it all the, feels like the the houses are old. Yeah. So I think the wall is similarly old. It's just been yeah. modified with the new stuff. There's yeah, like the, repurposed. Because, like, the ugly new floodlights, I, I just sort of think of, like, the, the very portable, like, kind of floodlights, like, you get at, like, Home Depot, that they've sort mm-hmm. of mounted them on top of the wall. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's just, yes, yeah, I mean, because Gilead, I don't know if we ever find out about this, but it's not that old. It can't be oh, that no. old, because well, Alfred remembers the time before. Yeah, Alfred definitely remembers the time before. Yeah. Oh, man. And, good, and good. she was an adult in the time before, because when she, she talks about um, That's right. walking down the, 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 the street um, and, and joking that they were going to own a house in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So she must have been an adult in the time before. Yeah. That's yeah. So, time, as I've mentioned before, I, I care a lot about that kind of stuff, and it, it seems like it gets mixed up with Cam, Cambridgean architecture. That's that's that is a word that intellectuals make up to use to sound smart when talking about Cambridge. You get what I mean. You get what I mean. I don't. I mean, it's it's also she, she refers to the the bodies on the wall as as time travelers. Um, which I think is also partly because, like, it's pretty clear that the the white coats have been put on the bodies so that you know that they're doctors. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, these people who were were um, 
uh, abortion doctors in the time before are not going to walk around dressed like doctors. They're going to like try to hide it. In fact, we get this very long paragraph about how like maybe it was old records, but those records should have been burned, or maybe it was like an ex nurse with an ex who who was hoping to 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 um not uh, to be pardoned, although like um informants aren't always pardoned. I uh, so like there is this kind of dressing things up like it was from the past here. Yeah. Exactly yeah. Speaking of, like, talking about the past and whatever is a very, seems to be a recurring theme in the show because it seems to be very time displaced. Yeah, I mean, the, the, we have the graveyard as well that, that has yeah. been maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, just one of those great, uplifting, totally nice chapters to really yeah, get you in the mood just, to read more. surrounded by death. Yeah. And again, and it's one of those things where we had so much to talk about over the span of a four-page chapter. Oh yeah, that is. It's like it so, took me less than that. Yeah. So dense. Incredible. It's just like that's just honestly like I've been I've been singing the high. I've been very, uh, I've been very like open about how much I've been enjoying this book, and I think it just, just seals the deal. Like Atwood is just a really good writer. You have embraced the gospel. Praise be. Praise be. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We should probably get out of here though. Yes. Um, yeah, I think we've had a good time here today. Uh, so Remember, thank you for listening. Death is imminent. Yep. And uh, memento mori. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Um, Which is stated in the chapter. I'm not just just saying that. That's true. Yes, that is correct. I think that's what this, this this episode should be called: memento mori. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I my original idea was going to name it Hangman because I'm just oh, so clever it, and you special. Can call it Hangman too. I. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, no. That's that's one of my, that's my favorite part about this podcast. <laughs> Thinking of the clever titles for the episodes. <laughs> I mean, why else am I doing this job, Elsie? None. There is no There's other no reason. There's no other reason. No other reason. I mean, that's that's why I agreed to it. I told you. <laughs> when you came to me and you asked, hey, Max, can you, you want to do this podcast with a handmade tale? I'm like, only if I can think of the titles. And you're like, fine, I'll put that on the table. I mean, really. That's the origin story for the yes. upcast. It was a major negotiation. <laughs> took three hours to get yes. through, I have to say. You were very... You, you wanted to hold on to the distribution rights to the titles of the podcast episodes. Yeah. No, I had to they're... wrestle them out, truly. <laughs> She's, she, she puts up a hell of a bargain, folks. All right, all right. But all we right. Should, should, should get going. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Upcast. This is for Chapter 6. Um, hope you join us next time for uh, what comes out. Oh, yeah, Chapter 7. Chapter 7. That's how, the first that's how chapter, this works. Part 3. Oh, dang. Ooh. I am excited for... Honestly, just going into part three, I just want to know more about Luke. I just got to know about this guy, whoever he is, what what he does, where, well, like he how does he know? A doctor. I mean, he isn't a doctor. Okay, we can confirm at this time Luke is not a doctor. All right. <laughs> I'm writing that down. Um, so yeah, if you want to follow us, follow our exploits, you can find us at at the Ofcast on Twitter, and uh, if you want to find us specifically, I am at Mr. Max Mariner. That's uh, Mar- Mariner with two R's in the middle. Uh, and that's MR at the beginning for Mr. Uh, where can they find you, Elsie? Uh, they can find me at the Muse Sappho. That's the Muse. And then Sappho is spelled S A P P H O. Um, and you can find me on YouTube, similarly named, and my Instagram, where I post retro fashion. I'm very proud of it. Please check yeah. it out. It's so good, guys. You have to check her out. Like, honestly, 
It's cons- it is so consistent. You go on her feed, your your her profile, and it's like wow, she just like it's just one thing. It's like the like the opposite of mine, where I just put up whatever I want and like. <laughs> None of it makes any sense. It's it's, Hers, a, it's a little obsessive. It's bad. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to cut back. <laughs> yeah, it's. It must be. Uh, don't get drunk on that on that Instagram uh, social capital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and you can find me on YouTube at uh, as Max Mariner. Um, I want to thank uh, people who have been excited about this uh, podcast. It's definitely been a huge help in like getting us motivated to keep making more. Please remember to tell your friends, share these episodes. If you know somebody who really likes The Handmaid's Tale, because there are a lot of you guys out there, please tell them about us. We'll uh, just throw them in our direction. I'm sure they'll have a good time. Our intro music is done by Daniel Shariot. And our branding is done by Sydney Elliott. Praise be. Praise be. See you guys next time.